want us just to enjoy being together today as we can um, move on in this current season called of our series called Climate Change. And uh, I, I just smile again, and because uh, because I mention climate change, that means I'm going to get a tag on YouTube again this week. Isn't that pretty cool? They give me a definition of what climate change is every time I mention climate change. So uh, that's you can go onto our YouTube channel, you can find that, and I'll give them a shout out because I want people looking at our website. Uh, that's good. But climate change is a big deal to our society. It's such a great big deal in our world at present. If you're a guest with us today and this is your first day, last week we started this series called Climate Change not specifically looking at all the, the worldly stuff, but recognising that climate change isn't the most important thing in our society at the moment. The more important thing is the spiritual climate that's across our nation. And, and unless that changes, we are not going to gain any, any way forward in anything else that we try and do. Everywhere you go... Everything you listen to, it seems to be about renewable energies, it seems to be about lowering carbon emissions, extreme weather conditions, what we are doing and what we're not doing, all those sorts of things in regards to our greenhouse gases and all those things that affect our climate. All those things that uh, are not, were not even really discussed 25 years ago. They weren't even on really our agenda from a general population at least 25 years ago. But rarely, 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 rarely do we hear the desperate need that we have for a spiritual climate change across our nation. Rarely do we see that, hear that, which incidentally was talked about in churches and has been talked about in churches for many, many years, spiritual revival for our nation. And there is a very good reason why it hasn't been talked about over everything else, and that is because very few see the need of it. And that's problematic. Really it is. If we want to see change come to our nation, it's only going to happen through the spiritual climate that is before us all today. The reality of things is that the, this world, the things of this world are more pressing than that of the unseen world. People don't, aren't so worried about what's going on in the spiritual context when there's enough to be worried about here and now in the physical context. But again, rarely do we make any connection between the two that what happens or what's, if, as the spiritual climate is changed, so too does the physical. There is a very clear connection between the two. Immediate gratification is what people are looking for and they're, they're looking for short-term benefits, short-term gains in this, pro, in this community and I'm, when I'm talking short-term, I'm talking potentially 50 to 100 years. It's still short-term in the light of eternity. So when, if we are more focused on what's going to happen here in the next hundred years and leave out what's going to happen for the rest of our time, then we are looking at the wrong kind of things. And because of that, the spiritual climate of our nation is not really regarded as anything important. 
It's not the primary concern to many. And in fact, there is a clear agenda, I believe, to minimise the impact of the spiritual influence in our nation. Very clear, very clear concern across our, our community. And our governments are more interested in getting re-elected our community leaders are more, import, are more concerned about making everybody happy and little attention has been given to the important issue of why we're in this position and the problems that we're having right now. We just want to make sure that we are the next one in power so that it doesn't matter what we say. Let's say what needs to be said. If you called your doctor, if you called your doctor because you were feeling unwell, you had a fever, uh, you had a runny nose, you didn't have COVID, uh, you had red watery eyes, I'll probably get another tag now, that'd be good, um, red watery eyes, you had started to develop a rash over your face and it was moving down your body and uh, your doctor would probably diagnose you as having the measles. And you asked your doctor, what should you do about it? He might say something like, the best thing you can do, stay home, don't go out, don't spread the virus, isolate yourself, and, um, you, would just, and, um, and you could stay at home. But what if you say to your doctor, or what if that didn't happen and your doctor told you to go home and put band-aids in all the spots? And everything will be fine. Everything will be good. How, you would probably laugh at the doctor and you probably would go back to the doctor. Not that one. Because you know and I know that putting band-aids on measles spots doesn't fix the measles. The good news with measles is that they, while they can be very serious, the reality is that generally people get better within a week or 10 days or so and they can get on with their life and go on about as normal. But what if that same scenario was applied to the spiritual health of our nation? What if we applied that same scenario and we were told that in order to fix the health of our nation that we had to use renewable energies, we had to reduce our greenhouse and our car greenhouse gases and our carbon effects. The sad part is that while these things probably will help to some degree, and they might even make it look like it is better, the real problem is not essentially those things at all. It's putting band-aids onto measles spots. And we need to recognise that. The scripture tell us in, it tells us in Colossians 1, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, and he made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world, Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So if God made everything and he is the one who holds all creation together, it makes no sense at all 
to ignore him in the process of getting our world back to the way that it should be. We cannot ignore the spiritual climate of our nation and expect that the physical is going to get better. I said this last week, I'll repeat it again today. Even if the whole world was to get to a net zero in the climate change, in their carbon emissions, our climate, spiritual climate included, but our climate would not change. Why? Because God has already said that these things will happen. And we need to be confident of the word of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. But let's not be quick to judge, or too quick at least, to judge because the truth is that those who do not know Christ, the ones who we would class as having no faith or, or perhaps even little faith, the ones who do not know Jesus Christ are not to blame. And the reason that is because 2 Corinthians tells us very clearly that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that they are unable to see the glorious light in the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The reality is, if they do not have any idea of what they're doing or should be doing, and they cannot see the glorious light of the good news, we cannot expect that they will do anything because they cannot see it. We cannot be quick to point the finger at everybody else because the spiritual climate of our nation is in disrepair. What they are going to do is to try and fix the physical but ignore the spiritual. The spiritual side of it comes down to us. We are the ones that are responsible. And it's, it's not their fault that they cannot see. The blame lies fairly and squarely on our shoulders. As Christ followers, as those who have called themselves Christ's followers, those who proclaim to know and follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ, those who live for him. And when God said that he would answer the prayers and heal our land, it was always in response to his people humbling themselves. It was always in response to his people coming back to him, repenting and coming back to him. That's the condition if we want to see spiritual climate change in our country at this point in time or across the world, but especially in our country, we need to get on our knees. We need to humble ourselves, we need to pray, and we need to seek his face. It falls directly upon us. It's our responsibility to pray for our nation. It's our responsibility to pray for our leadership of our nation. It's our responsibility to pray for, for the leadership of our states. It's our responsibility to pray for the leadership of our community. It's our responsibility to uphold business leaders and business people who are proclaiming Christ to pray for our business leaders in our community. It's our role to do that. We need to recognise that we need to confess our sins because I think we've neglected our duty to some degree in praying for our people. We're far more easier to complain about what's going on than it is to do what's necessary to fix what's going on. We need to confess our sins. We need to seek the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in the process of that. 
And if we fail to do that for our nation, then let us not blame everyone or anything else for the spiritual state of our country. Because we need to take our responsibility seriously. So how can we pray effectively for our nation? That's what I want to talk about today. How can we, what can we do? How can we pray effectively for our country at this moment in time? Three men were in a sinking boat. This is probably a true story, or not. The situation was quite serious, and the only thing left for them to do was to pray. The first man said he couldn't pray because he wasn't sure of his beliefs. The second man said, I I can't pray either because I, I don't have any suitable prayers for sinking boats. The third man prayed and says, Lord, we're in a mess. And if you get us out of this one, I'll never ask you for anything again. Is there a right way to pray? Is there a proper way? How should we pray for our nation? We're in a mess, spiritually speaking, as a nation right now. We really are. We may not be in a sinking boat as such, but we may as well be. So how do we pray? It's no good just saying, Lord, we're in a mess. I'm never going to ask you for anything else. That's not the right way to pray. If we're not sure of our beliefs, we need to be sure of what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And in response to the third guy, is there a proper way to pray for a sinking boat? And I believe there is. Jesus actually helps us answer that as I read the scripture for today, Matthew chapter 6. A familiar passage to many of you, I am sure. It says, when you pray, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that this is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in private, and then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on. And on, as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And while Matthew, that's from Matthew chapter 6, while Matthew doesn't record it, Luke records the same passage, but he starts and tells us that Jesus taught them that prayer in response to a question that was asked by the disciples in Luke chapter 11. It says, Once when Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And he went on and he continued to pray as we read in Matthew chapter 6. So this was a question from the disciples that was put to Jesus, Lord, teach us 
how to pray. How can we pray effectively? John's taught his disciples, we want to learn how to pray. And I think the first thing that I want to share today, or I don't think I know, the first thing I want to share with you all today is the first part of this. Number one, if you're filling out sermon notes or you've got your notes in front of you, have pure motives. It's all to do with the heart. Our prayer is not about the fancy words. It's not about the, the extra actions that we can add to them. It's not about anything else. The prayer is, it has to begin with, with a good heart, a pure motives. Matthew begins the passage we read this morning on prayer with Jesus' comments about public prayers. And, and the particularly the prayers of the hypocrites who were not going to be having their prayers answered because their reward for praying was already received in the notoriety that they got from praying out in public. What Jesus is saying is that if your reason for public prayer is to appear spiritual, he's not saying anything else but this. If you are standing before your people and you are praying publicly to appear more spiritual, which is what the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day were doing, don't expect God to respond to those kinds of prayers because you've now got the reward that you want by the people giving you that response or the response that you're looking for. When he says don't pray publicly, he's not saying that public prayer is wrong. In fact, Jesus prayed publicly for people as well. So it doesn't make sense that he would say it's, it's wrong to be praying publicly. So we can't just ban prayer in church, for instance. What Jesus is saying is that there are many reasons why public prayer is good. And it, it can be the right thing to do. And God blesses, I believe, the corporate prayer of the body of Christ. When people gather together and pray corporately, God blesses that. And when we corporately pray and pray in agreement on a particular thing, proving our motive is pure, that is the kind of prayer that God wants us to be having. Pure motives. Acts 2 reminds us of that. In Acts 2.42, it said, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And I'm confident that they were not sitting in a closet while they were doing that. So this is right after... The Holy Spirit had come upon them and the church was absolutely on fire. And people were proclaiming Christ. People were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What were they doing? They were praying with one accord, one mind. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing of meals and to prayer. And Jesus actually told us when he walked this planet that we are to be in this on this planet and we are to shine like lights. We are to display the glory of God in the things that we do and there will be times when public prayer is exactly what we need to be doing. 
Solomon prayed publicly and what happened? The temple was filled with smoke so that no one could actually do anything. Peter, Paul, Stephen and a bunch of others in the New Testament are recorded as praying public prayer. So he's not talking about that being wrong. He's, he's talking about the motive we have when we come to pray. So if you want to know how we should be praying for our nation, the first thing is to have a passion and a heart for the word of God and the will of God. We need to be praying earnestly, not just superficially, not just making up words that's going to fill up time, not just being looking polite and, and being around people. Our heart motive needs to be to get to the, be part of what God is wanting to do. If people cannot pray publicly without feeling that they're performing, it's probably better that we pray in our closets at home. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. It takes away all, all the external stuff and it's just me and me and the Lord. There's nothing wrong with having a prayer room at home. There's nothing wrong with, with having a specific place that you meet with the Lord every day. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's wanting us to be having pure motives. It's not about making a name for ourselves, but honouring the name of Jesus. Because prayer isn't, isn't some, it's not some slot machine that we can just pull a handle and get God to do what we want. It's not putting out our stuff and, and thinking God is this great Santa Claus who's going to just deliver us all our wonderful gifts. It's a place where we can come and bring our needs to our Heavenly Father who deeply cares for us. He already knows our needs. He already knows our needs. The reason he wants us to ask him is because he wants us to know our needs. He wants us to recognise our needs. He already knows what we want. It's, you parents would understand that principle, I'm sure. There are things that your children want, but, and, but it's really nice when your children actually get it. And asking for things that are proper and right, not for selfish reasons. That's what God wants us to do. Secondly, Jesus went on in this, in this uh, part of the teaching and he began to teach them the words that we know as the Lord's Prayer. Secondly is submit to God. Submit is the word you need to put in on your blanks. Right after Jesus says it's, prayer isn't about words and the babbling on and on like all the hypocrites do, he says this. He says, pray like this. And what Jesus teaches then is not a word-for-word -word prayer that needs to be memorized and prayed at every gathering from that point on. That's not the intent of what Jesus is trying to teach. He's teaching them, and therefore us, a pattern for us to pray by. He's teaching us how to pray, not what to pray. How we should pray. Teach us how we should pray is the question. And Jesus says to pray like this. So this is not a memorized thing that we have to go and memorize. There's nothing wrong with memorizing it, by the way, but that wasn't the point. 
It's how, it's a principle, it's a pattern. And while it's not wrong to do any of the memorization, the problem comes when we pray and we really don't mean it. So when we memorize something like the Lord's Prayer and we can rattle it off, some of the older generations can anyway, we can rattle it off off the top of our head and not even think a word that's been said. We pride ourselves in being able to, to repeat it. But how many times do we stop and think about the pattern that Jesus was teaching us to pray? So what does that prayer pattern really look like? It's the great place to start is right where Jesus starts. The pattern is this. Acknowledge God, his name, his position, his authority, and that's what Jesus taught his disciples. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name, or hallowed be your name, or may your name be honoured above all other names. May your kingdom come. It, the beginning of Jesus' prayer that he's sharing with his disciples is to put God and acknowledge God in his rightful place. So it reorients our heart from where we are, not putting ourselves in that place of honouring and putting God in his rightful place of honour and recognising that's the place. So we come to Jesus or we come to God with a right attitude when we're going to pray for our our nation with the right motives for coming, but we need to put him first. We need to submit to God on everything. When Jesus teaches us to pray like that, it's an indication of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. If we, Jesus says, pray like this and begins with our Father, it tells me pretty quickly that God's desire is that he wants to have a personal relationship with me. If he wants me to call him Abba Father, my heavenly dad, if he wants that, then he wants that kind of relationship that's right and pure and and excellent and, and lovely and wonderful and all those things that happens in a proper relationship. Many of us have not all had good relationships with our far, earthly fathers. And so that's sometimes a little difficult to get our heads around. I was so blessed and am so blessed. I still have my dad and I love my dad. He's been an inspiration to me over the, all of my years and I, I love him dearly. I have been so blessed to have my dad as a, one who loves the Lord and continues to do so today. And I know though that many don't. I know that many have not even known, some don't even know their father. And so to get our head around having a heavenly father and having a, that kind of relationship is difficult. But his love is perfect. It's not selfish. It's not trying to drag you out of things that are going to be good for you. He's only wanting to do what's right and proper. He wants us to talk with him. But at the same time, our attitude should be one out of love and respect and honour. Not just coming flippantly and, and regarding him as nothing. There is, that's one of the problems with our society. There's little or no honour given to people in authority in our, in our community anymore. 
Very little honour given to people in our community. No matter who it is. You know, I, our Prime Minister, Elbow. Or it used to be ScoMo. If Peter Dutton ever comes into Prime Minister, Potato Head. You know, we don't have any respect for our, those in authority. Why are we not calling them by their titles or their proper names? Because we don't have that authority or we don't have that respect for authority. And it's not just Christian people by any means. It's not, and, and it's the media. It all gets pushed through. I realise all that. But we really don't have any respect. Some might say that respect is earned and that's true. But the fact is that it's not commonplace anymore and we've lost the understanding and meaning of approaching God with honour and respect. We've lost it. We need to regain it. We need to stand before him or bow before him in humility. And when we come to him in prayer, that's exactly the way we ought to approach him out of respect and honour and submission. It's acknowledging that he is overall, in all and through all things. He's the one who created everything. Nothing exists except that which he put in place. He is the supreme one over everything. It's recognising that we need to surrender to this divine viewpoint of who God is. Submit to him. Submit to him. The scriptures tell us when we submit to God, demons flee. When we submit to God, when we acknowledge God and we live by that way, we have the protection of our heavenly father. James 4 says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So if we want to know how we should pray, Jesus is saying that when we come before God, it's with the right motive and an attitude of submission. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And mean that. And then he goes on in teaching the disciples to bring our requests to God. Requests is the word that you need to fill in if you're filling in notes. The prayer goes on to talk about some things that we can ask for from our Heavenly Father and heading the list are our physical needs or our daily bread. And I know and I understand that there may well be some spiritual uh, connection of bread and, and the Word of God on a daily basis. I understand that, but I really do believe that what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that God wants to provide for us our daily needs. He wants to do that. We don't need to worry about anything. In fact, he's, he talks about this a little bit later on. Don't worry about anything. The birds of the field have everything they need. The birds of the air, the, the, the flowers of the field, they're, they're covered in beauty. If God looks after these things, how much more will he look after you who love him? He provides our needs. Jesus is reminding us that our very basic needs all come through our Heavenly Father and they come by us asking Him. 
and we're to ask him for them and, and then be grateful. We, we need to be so grateful for every little thing that we have. He also teaches that prayers are about being forgiven and seeking forgiveness. Right after the Lord's Prayer, we'll read it in a minute, but he talks about that very clearly. Essentially because we've been forgiven by God of our sinfulness. When we receive Jesus into our life, we should be willing to forgive others, our brother and sisters who've wronged us. And Jesus teaches us that we should not... Sorry, that we should ask God to help us to pursue this purity of heart in in wanting to be right before God, to have a pure heart, to seek the forgiveness of those things that we have done in our attitude, in in our actions, in our thought lives. And that's what Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Father, he's saying to, for he's wanting us to pray, Father, Help us or teach us or lead us away from those temptations. Help us to be strong when we're tempted to do those things that are going to drag us away from you. That's the principle. Ask for strength. Ask for help. Because this world, when you start to pray for spiritual revival in this nation, you cannot, we cannot do it on our own. We are going to come under such spiritual attack. You will not even believe what's possible, I'm sure. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that when we're tempted, we can be delivered from that with the Lord's help. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such is common to men. In other words, there is not a temptation in the world that has not happened to others in this, on this planet. But... God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to do. So even in the process of knowing that there is not a temptation that's not going to come against us, we have the confidence in God who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted with the temptation, he will always and also provide a way out of the temptation. There is never a temptation that is too hard for you and I. That's the promise. So we can't say, the devil made me do it. Or, it's just temptation and we're all just guilty. It's just, we're just human. That's not a valid excuse. Because God has provided a way of escape for us. Every temptation that we face, there is a way through. Which brings me back to the central theme of this series. How can we pray for a spiritual climate change in our nation? Because without that changing, we are headed for a very dire ending. Because... As I said right at the beginning of today, there, it isn't a problem for those who don't know Christ. It's not a problem for those who have no idea because their eyes are blind. They don't even understand what's going on. They're unable to, unable to see these things. So I can't expect that they will do anything because they won't. The responsibility falls directly on mine and our shoulders So if we want to see scriptural holiness spread across our nation, if we want to see this land changed, we need to pray. How? 
we firstly, we need to have our motives right. We need to acknowledge who God is, that he is in control, that he's the one worthy of honour, that he's the one that's worthy of praise and glory and blessing. We need to be praying that God is, is, this is God's kingdom will come to this place now. We need the Holy Spirit's present across our nation. We need the Holy Spirit in the church to, for the people to stand up and be motivated to pray, to seek his face, to humble ourselves, turn from our wickedness and not think that it's all just everyone else's problem. We need to be praying from a pure heart and pure motives and that can only happen as we humble ourselves and we seek God's forgiveness for the way our nation has turned its back on him. We need to be seeking the Lord's forgiveness because we have neglected our role. Then we, as God's children, in that process have not always been obedient in sharing the gospel and reaching and teaching others the things that we've learned. We need to stand in the gap and pray for people because mostly people are unable or unwilling to pray for themselves anyway. Now, I don't want to end on a negative note. I don't want to do that. Because God has given us this time of grace and mercy. He's given us a wake-up call and he continues to do that. It's an opportunity for us to change our nation. You and I can do that. I know that we can do that. The number of people in here, the number of people who may be watching online right at this moment in time, I know, I know that we can change this nation. Why do I know? How am I so confident? Because 11 people changed the world with Jesus. 11 people changed the, the world so the number of people in this room can change our nation. I'm absolutely confident of that if we stand and, and pray and we seek his face. I want to call us to a chime of prayer. Matthew 6, 14. We didn't read this earlier, but this is a verse I was referring to before. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is key. We need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. We need to be willing to forgive others for things that they're doing and done. The sins of our nation cannot be forgiven if we are unable or unwilling. Unwilling is more the word to forgive others. And we need to be praying for a change of heart across our nation. A desire for holiness and purity. You want to know how to pray? Pray like this. Pray that this nation will be inspired, that we need to ask God for help in, in, for us to live in a manner to, as living as children of light. That will probably mean that we're going to be confronted with evil on a daily basis. That shouldn't frighten us. It will mean, though, that we're on the front line. It will mean that we will come under attack. It will mean that <clears throat> we'll probably get shut down somewhere at some point into the future for proclaiming such a thing. 
But that's, that's not to frighten us. That's to cause us to stand by the word of God because God's word has already foretold that these things will happen. Let's not be afraid of them. We need to be asking God to protect us and be our God and deliver us from the evil one as we do the work that he has for us in our community, in our workplaces, in our families. We need to be praying for boldness and we need to be praying for courage to stand up for him in a world that is not sympathetic to the word of God in, at all of any kind. We need to be bold and courageous within our own little community of Yapoon or wherever else we're living. We need to stand and recognise that it's, God's, it's time for God's people to rise up. It's not a negative thing, it's a call to action. It's a call for now, for us. We're in a place that we, have been, we are being encouraged to, to stand up, to accept the challenge, to not look back, to not give up, to not back away, to not be quiet, to, to live by faith and to lean on his presence day by day. Walk the patience, the path God has given us. It won't be easy and the way ahead may well be very rough for every single one of us. Our friends may be very few. We might even lose some more along the way as we go. But God is reliable. The Holy Spirit is reliable. He will meet our needs and he will make our mission clear. And it's time for us as the body of Christ, as the church, to pray, to pray earnestly with the right motives, submitting our hearts and lives to God, asking him for the things that are according to his will, not my will. That he will, he will meet my daily needs, but we need to be making sure that we are in a good place, purity of heart, forgiving our brothers and sisters so that our forgiveness is, is we can be confident of that as a nation. It's time to pray and it's time to get on our knees to come before our Heavenly Father and pray for our nation, for the spiritual climate of our nation. And that will impact our nation and that will impact our world. Can you imagine the difference? Maybe you can't. Imagine the difference that it could happen, that could have just on your poon. After all, we need to be praying to God and he's the only one that can make that happen. I can't do that, but I can pray and I can keep my motives right and pure and, and I can encourage you to do the same. I can't change you. I can't make you do anything, but I can certainly encourage and I can give you the opportunity and that's what I want to do today. Coming up in two weeks' times, 10th to the 16th of July, we are going to have a week of prayer for our community. I've invited the whole, all the churches of the Capricorn Coast to join us in prayer for our, our nation at that time. I've sent a letter to them. I've given them a link to get some prayer notes. I want to do the same for you. 
throughout this week, I will be sending you an email with a link to sign up, to register, not to make sure you're praying, but if you would like to receive prayer notes during that last, during that week of prayer, sign up so we can send you the email or get, it'll come via email. So if you would like them, sign up for that when, I, when you get the email. But we're going to have a week of prayer where I'm going to ask every family as much as possible to be setting aside just one hour for that week, just one hour, to pray earnestly for the spiritual climate of our nation, for our community, for our families. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you're on your own at home, you're a single person, or perhaps you're away from family and not able to do that, Perhaps join with someone else. You can do it on your own if you want, but join with someone else maybe and spend an hour that week in prayer. And then on the Saturday, the 16th, 4.30 in the afternoon, I want us to gather as a church, the, the church of the Capricorn Coast. We're going to have a time of celebration, of prayer, of testimony, of song, and, and I, want to, I would love this place to be filled with people who are earnestly seeking the spiritual reformation of our, of our nation, the spiritual climate change. I'm asking you to join me on that one. 4.30, Saturday the 16th of July, here at the church. You'll go home in time for dinner, okay? We're not going to have meals. It's nothing about food. I know that churches are supposed to have food, but this one won't but we will just get home and have meal together. You can go out and have food on the beach with your family or friends or whatever you want to do afterwards, but I want to have a time of prayer. So let's do that. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray today that these words that have been read from your word might sink and penetrate deep into our hearts today. That if we need to go into our closet to force us not to be proud, Lord, then, then let us be able to do that in the proper manner. Examine our thoughts, our hearts today, Lord. Even the reason that we're here. But your word tells us that when your people pray and when they seek your face and when they turn from their wickedness and when they humble themselves that you will hear from heaven, that you will hear from heaven and restore the land. Father, we, we need the spiritual climate of our nation shifted from where it is now into alignment with your word. And we pray for, our, for that. Pray for our local government here. Pray for our mayor. We pray for our councillors. We uphold those businessmen and women who proclaim Christ as their Lord and Saviour to boldly stand, to stand firm on your word, to, to, to do their business in, in a godly manner. We pray, Father, for a spiritual reformation across our country. We pray for our Prime Minister. We pray, Father, for our, our premier of this, of this state and we pray that your word might penetrate deep into to their respective cabinets and leaders of their, of, of their parties. Father, I pray that this country can be transformed 
it may be transformed by the renewing of your spirit across the church and there, there on end, Father, across our nation. Revive us today, Lord, and begin that process in me. And I pray this now in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen.